Al Jazeera podcast. Greetings to you all, comrades. The imperialists are afraid of us. They are scared to death. I was one of the most powerful women in the world. Everyone in China knew my face. You must be on alert all the time. Some people are bent on destroying the Party Central Committee, the PLA, and the Revolutionary Committees. They all knew my name too, Jiang Ting. In the United States, they called me Madame Mao. <laughs> What did those imperialists know? It's the 5th of September, 1967. In China, the Cultural Revolution is in full force. The revisionists are also afraid of us. They are afraid of our great proletarian cultural revolution. Mao Zedong was trying to retake control of China's Communist Party. Public persecution and mass public killings were everywhere. And one of the key players is the strongman's self-professed attack dog. Whomever he tells me to bite, I bite. His wife. Her powerful voice whips up the country's revolutionary forces and unleashes a violence that will send chills down the spines of anyone standing in her way. Ever wonder what history's most famous and infamous would say if you ask them for their side of the story? Well, here's your chance. I'm Charles Dance, your narrator for Hindsight, an original podcast by Al Jazeera. This is a dramatized series based on historical events that resurrect some of the world's most notable figures. In this episode, we meet Yang Qing, otherwise known as Madame Mao. Her unlimited ambition and lifelong battle against patriarchal convention broke many taboos, but she wielded that power violently to settle old scores, eliminate opponents and their families, and coordinate a campaign of fear. In hindsight, her ruthlessness propelled her to power, but it also led to her demise. Hindsight. You've heard of them. Now it's time you hear from them. I was born in 1914 in Zhucheng. That's in the eastern Shandong province of China on the Yellow Sea. And my birth name? Well, that's my secret. Some say Chiang Qin was born Li Qin while others say her name was Li Xumeng, which translates to pure and simple. Of course, she was anything but. My mother was over 30 when I was born. That may not seem that old today for a first-time mother, but back then it was. I barely remember my father. My parents didn't have a typical relationship. But if I learned one thing from my mother, it was not to accept men's foolishness. My father was a carpenter, and my mother, I would later figure out, 
was his concubine, a status lower than his wife. Mother said that he was a drunkard, abusive, and that he neglected me. She left him when I was very little and supported us by cleaning houses mostly. While my mother broke taboos by leaving my father, there were other social conventions she insisted on. I was four years old when she bound my feet for the first time. Mama, why are you wrapping my feet so tight? No, it doesn't really hurt. <laughs> mother said this would ensure me a brighter future as a wife and mother of good standing. I guess she wanted me to avoid a life like hers. Mama, can I take these off? Please, Mama. I don't want to be beautiful. I just want to take these off. <laughs> Feet binding was excruciating. Thankfully, it was quickly falling out of fashion in my time. It was meant to hobble women. But I was smarter than that. Chiang was born at a period when the age of ancient royal dynasties in China was at an end. Traditionalists and modernists were at odds, and by the time she was seven years old, a powerful new force in China was born. The Chinese Communist Party. I didn't know much except that my life was unlike the rest of the girls I knew. They get sweets or presents. I got solitude. Mother may have been better to me than father was, but he had set a low bar. I felt alone, fragile, and the footbinding was torture inflicted by my supposed protector. Anyway, mother was often gone all hours, leaving me alone at home. It turned out she was selling her body. I often went out looking for her at night. Mama! Mama! Are you here? Where are you? Mama! When I was still quite young, my father died of typhus. With him gone, his family stopped helping my mother financially. She had no choice but to ask her parents if we could live with them in Xinan. They say yes, thankfully. And before I knew it, we were traveling 300 kilometers to my new life. Living with my grandparents meant I didn't have to take care of myself all the time. This was the first time in my life I had a bit of familial stability. I also got regular schooling. But my greatest discovery was the theater. Up on the stage, I relished in reinventing myself. Chang's new image reflected a change in her path. She would repeat this many times throughout her life. Shedding her past, she'd enter a new domain and adopt a new persona. My grandfather gave me a new name, Li Yunhe. It means crane in the clouds. He said it symbolized hope. I grasped my new name as though my life depended on it. 
Mother never had a great relationship with her parents, and she never seemed to enjoy being one herself. She just didn't know what to do with me most of the time. And when she did, well, she could be quite harsh. I'm sorry, Mother. I will do better. Just please don't say those mean things to me. <laughs> Eventually, she left and never came back. Chiang's mother disappeared. Her role in her daughter's life is sidelined in recorded history. No one even knows her name. Meanwhile, the struggle for power between the Nationalist government and the Communist Party descended into civil war in 1928. The Nationalists were led by Chiang Kai-shek, the Communists by Mao Zedong. These events would shape Chiang's future. But at 13 years old, she had other concerns. With mother gone, I turned my focus full-time to becoming an actor. I applied to the Experimental Arts Academy, which was funded by the local province, and I was accepted. At the academy, I stood out for my rebelliousness. The instructors loved my long, beautiful hair. It was one of the attributes that helped me get their approval. So... I cut it. But rebelling against teachers is one thing. If I truly wanted to gain the respect of my peers, I had to go further than them, more daring than the boys. All the students think we should do something about that statue of Confucius. The instructors want us to worship such people. Do they not understand times are changing? The boys in school are talking about stealing his headdress. They're all talk, no action. But watch me. Got it. Now, the whole academy will know my worth. Wow, she got it. You see, being a girl in China in those days wasn't easy. Everyone wanted you to act feminine and be polite. They wanted us to be quiet. I was determined to prove that the days of submissive women were over. But men are often too simple-minded to understand this. In order to gain their respect, we have to go above and beyond what they do. We cannot have equality unless we embody it through such acts of bravery. So, when I was 15 years old, I took the bravest step towards my future. I'm leaving! I am going to Beijing, and you can't stop me. I ran away to become an actress in the big city. But I couldn't hack it. Heck, I couldn't even afford underwear. I returned to my grandparents' home. Grandfather wanted me to marry an old man he knew. I was 16, but I agreed. Ugh. But three months later, I asked for a divorce. See? Brave. Her audacity was certainly not in short supply. But money was. She married for financial support. Xiang, one could argue, used people to suit her needs. 
It's a pattern she played over throughout her life. I moved to Qingdao, about 360 kilometers from Jinan, and studied at the university there. I worked at the library and spent a lot of time reading and writing. I was part of the theater scene, and I even wrote my first play. But the most special part of my time at the university was Yu Qiwei. Yu was a biology student, but that didn't interest me so much as his activism. He was an underground leader with the communists. I was 17, and Yu's leftist political ideas intrigued me. Disenfranchised peasants in the countryside suffered from the effects of a global depression. The communists found sympathetic ears among many of the peasant class. The nationalists then became increasingly authoritarian. I started joining more leftist groups too. And in 1933, when I was 19, I joined the Communist Party. Did you hear? The nationalists are arresting and killing our comrades. We better watch our backs or they'll come for us too. The imperialist nationalist government arrested my Yu. They put him in jail for a whole year. I loved him, but how could anyone expect me to wait for him? I mean, this was wartime. Things were crazy. By 1933, Chiang Kai-shek gathered an army of 700,000 men and surrounded the communist Red Army led by Mao Zedong. This led to a 6,000-mile journey retreat by communist forces, known as the Long March. Mao Zedong would soon come to the forefront of her life, but not just yet. Meanwhile, the Japanese had taken full control of Manchuria in northeast China. It set the stage for a future invasion that would upend Chang's life and set her on a trajectory to shape Chinese history. For now, though, Chiang was on the cusp of another reinvention. When I was 20, I moved to Shanghai. I changed my name, again, to Lan Ping. It means Blue Apple. Shanghai was where everything started to go my way. It's surely here that I'll make my name shine in bright lights. Watch where you're going. Yeah, you wait and see. You'll get yours. I'm about to go on stage. I better warm up. Let's be clear about something. I was brilliant. My future was bright. Reports from the time described Chiang as a confused actress. Others labelled her as a second-rate or even a third-rate actress. Acting wasn't bringing in enough money, so she took up a second job teaching theatre classes at the local YWCA. She was also possibly overshadowed by other actresses like her Blood on Wolf Mountain co-star, Li Li Li, or her one-time friend, Wang Ying. 
but we'll hear more about her career as an actress, her lovers, and how she met Mao Zedong after this break. Welcome back. It's important to note that criticisms of Jiang's acting career could be connected to the Chinese film industry's political polarization during that era. The battle playing out between communists and nationalists extended to the cinema. There were people inside the industry who wanted to humiliate me. They'd get their comeuppance. My activism got me into some trouble. I spent a few months in jail for my commitment to the communist cause. When I was released, a bit of luck finally came my way. Oh, yes, Torvald. Do let us squander a little, just the least little bit, won't you? I got the lead role in A Doll's House, the Henrik Ibsen play. It was a big deal. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. The play was a huge hit. In a doll's house, my character Nora reinvents herself to survive. It was a character I really resonated with. I put everything I had into that performance. I channeled all my struggles, my childhood, my pathetic parents and lovers and my arrest. My acting career took off after that. My life was changing. The battle lines in China's civil war were changing too. In 1934, the communists were on the back foot after massive losses to the nationalists. Mao Zedong led the Red Army on the Long March, one of the greatest military retreats in history. They fled to China's mountainous northeast and relocated their base there. Meanwhile, the woman who would one day become Madame Mao had her own conquest to make. I met Tang Na when I was 21. My great love. Tang was a radical, a director, and an art and film critic. The attraction was instant and intense. I'd never felt love like that before in my life. We quickly moved in together. We both came from broken families and had similar tastes in theatre and food. We also hung around the same people. But most importantly, we both wanted to be part of the changes happening in our society. Out with the old ways. But there was one character trait we had in common that didn't particularly help our relationship. We both had serious tempers. Bursts of rage mixed with passion and romance. It worked for a while, but eventually the fighting became too much. It's over, Tang. I'm leaving. He threatened to kill himself if I left. Pathetic man. But the threat made me reconsider. For a while, at least. We married in 1936. Yes. I thought that marriage might fix the relationship. I was so naive. Anyway, I could handle the fighting, but not infidelity. When I found out he was cheating, 
I took my revenge and started an affair with a famous director. Tang found out and tried to kill himself. We divorced in 1937. Things were going really well for me after that. My lover, the director Zhang Ming, offered me a role in a big play. I was also starring in films. There was Blood on Wolf Mountain. This film was rife with anti-Japanese sentiment. While Tiang was involved in communist groups, it's unclear how astute or sophisticated her politics were at that time. Some claim that she did not know the difference between the communists and nationalists, even after she joined the Communist Party. And then there was Old Bachelor Wang. It's a romance about a young woman and a much older man. How is that, Zhang? Did I dazzle you once again with my talent? Of course I shone brighter than that hag, Li Li Li. Naturally, my success made other actors in Shanghai jealous. Chang was young and beautiful. She also drank freely and had affairs with directors. Shanghai in the late 1930s was decadent and bourgeois, but Tiang came under the scrutiny of others in the theatre scene, drawing comparisons of her lacklustre acting career to her personal life and the company she kept. Oh, yes. Torven. Uh, Torvald. Oh, shoot. Where is the line again? Torvald. Mm, Torvald, 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 Torvald. Give me another shot. I'll get it this time. Chang's acting career was about to take a hit, but not by her own hand. On the 13th of August, 1937, the Japanese, looking for raw materials to fuel its empire, invaded Shanghai. The Chinese Civil War was put on hold to deal with the outside invader. Damn Japanese, just as my career's taking off. Now I have to flee. Over the next four months, more than 187,000 Chinese citizens died. The Japanese lost upward of 60,000 people. Shanghai fell and the Chinese army fell back. The battle would one day become known as the Stalingrad on the Yangtze, due to the number of casualties. The Chinese army lost this round, but Chinese nationalism spiked during this period. It may have signaled the end of Chiang's acting career, but it was also the beginning of her political ascent. Nationalist sentiment grew in China after the Japanese invasion, and while Chang wasn't the most well-versed in political theory, she decided to take action. I joined a communist reservist group in Yan'an. This is quite the backwater. There's nothing here. But it was the perfect place for the Communist Party's headquarters. No distractions. It was there that I saw my old flame, Yu. He was still devoted to the cause. He was with a new woman, a journalist named Fan Jing. I couldn't care less. I had my eyes on a bigger price. 
Once again, Chang would undergo a metamorphosis. This time, she began to hear the name of a gorilla hero. Excuse me, I just wanted to compliment your lecture. Um, I'm not sure what to call you. Comrade Mao? And so their paths finally cross. At 44 years old, Mao Zedong was a seasoned revolutionary at the top of the Chinese Communist Party. Mao's charisma and leadership qualities gained him many followers, particularly among the country's peasant class. And Tiang knew if she wanted to get closer to power, she'd need to get closer to Mao. I always made sure to get a front row seat at his lectures. Of course I'll be at the next one. Destiny brought us together, and soon we fell madly in love. Communist Party officials saw Chang as an opportunist who chased Mao for her own fame and power. He was 21 years older than her, but Mao's feelings towards Chang were less questioned. He was said to be taken by her beauty and strength of character. His political ambitions matched my own. Finally, I met my equal. Within a year, I was his mistress. Mao was going through a divorce with He Zhizhen. She was a member of the Communist Party, but also known as a model wife and member. But you know she was crazy, right? He Zhizhen suffered from severe depression after losing two children to pneumonia. She was sent to a mental asylum in Moscow, allegedly to make room for Xiang. It was around this time Mao gave me my new name, the one you've been hearing all along, Jiangqing. It means Green River. Many Chinese used to change their name regularly to reflect the times they lived in. Jiangqing, or Green River, represents a change from her previous life and role to her new life. It's the end of her stage name, Lan Ping, and the beginning of her life as Tiang Ting. Mao and I had big plans to change our country into a communist society. 1938 was the start of a new China, one based on class struggle. But what influence would I have as a mere mistress? I refused to be disregarded like my mother. For me to truly be China's first lady, we had to be married. But some Communist Party leaders objected. They thought Chang was a spy. Others thought that her profession as an actress embarrassed Communist authorities. Either way, an agreement was finally reached. In order to marry Mao, Chang had to stay out of politics for 20 years. It meant I had to work behind the scenes as Mao's personal secretary. But I whispered my beliefs in his ear. Who else would have convinced him of the importance of the arts and culture? Chang's influence is debatable. But Mao understood the influence culture had over people in China. Some scholars say Mao's theories on culture and propaganda were already well-defined. What's clear, Chang's vindictiveness drove her as much as her ego. 
I never forgot those who opposed our union and forced me into the shadows. Nor the wretched critics from my Shanghai days. I began to make a list of people who had crossed me. I started making plans for them. Revenge was coming. But in 1940, Chiang was preoccupied with something else. Oh, Mao, look at how beautiful she is. Our baby girl. Let's name her Lina. In 1945, devastated by the US atomic bombings of Hiroshima and Nagasaki, the Japanese surrendered in the Second World War and left China for good. Fighting soon resumed between the nationalists and the communists. But the communists had gained popular support among the masses by redistributing land to the poor. On the 1st of October 1949, the communists declared victory. Chiang Kai-shek's nationalists were forced to Taiwan. Mao Zedong proclaimed the founding of the People's Republic of China in Beijing. But during the pronouncement at Tiananmen Square, there was one noticeable absence. <laughs> All the party officials' wives were on stage, except me. Can you believe this? The disrespect. There's more names to add to my list. But her revenge would have to wait. In 1949, Chang traveled to Moscow to have her glands removed, and from there wrote letters to her husband. Our international propaganda is not done well. The Soviet Communist Party, in many ways, has not understood our position. Everything is fine here with me, but I am constantly thinking about you and about things in China. How are our fishes in the pond? Have our plums ripened already? I think it would be best if I returned home when the peaches ripen. Hoping to receive a letter from you. Anyway, my 20-year ban on politics lasted 10. In the 1950s, I became the head of the CCP's film section under the Department for Propaganda. And so begins her purge. We'll hear about it after this break. We live in a world where the news is at our fingertips, where we're one click or swipe away from the latest headlines. But how often do we stop swiping and scrolling and just listen? It's the difference between knowing what's in the headlines and understanding how it got there. I'm Malika Bilal, and this is The Take, Al Jazeera's daily news podcast, where we bring you the context and the people behind the global stories that matter. Subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome back. Chang started her revenge with people like Mei Lanfang, one of the greatest Beijing opera actors of his time. But she saw him as a threat to the communist agenda and also to her own prominence. I had to bring Chinese arts up to speed and in line with communist ideals. Chiang got a reputation for interfering in the arts. She criticized many popular films, some because they criticized people the Communist Party deemed patriots, 
others because they celebrated figures who rose from rags to riches. Achieving good things through economic gain was not in line with our communist values. One deputy director of propaganda even said, when comrade Tiang Ching is present, work becomes difficult. And any time someone would question me, I'd just bring up Mao's name. Who could oppose me then? <laughs> Chairman Mao had developed a cult personality. Media painted him as a heroic leader who stood up to the West. But the 1950s were troubling for Mao. There were many corrupt communist leaders, and a lot of people in China were unsatisfied. They were starving. It's estimated that 30 million people died during the Great Famine of 1959 to 1961. While there was a drought, the famine is widely considered a man-made disaster. That man was Chairman Mao, whose economic mismanagement during the Great Leap Forward, an agrarian revolution that completely reshaped society, led to much death. Mao was experienced in guerrilla warfare, but as a statesman, he was grasping at straws. We turned things around in the 60s. Mao had big plans for the future. I was also turning 50 that decade and was looking forward to the next stage in my life. Mao asked me to draft a policy on the arts. It became known as the May 16th Circular. It denounced trash like what people in the West produced. Anything erotic or unbefitting was off limits. But in private, she screened many of these forbidden films. A favorite actress of hers was Greta Garbo. Why are we peddling our precious possessions to the world at this time? Oh, I just love this scene. <laughs> Greta is so magical. My political sophistication was such that I could watch those types of films without being corrupted. The common person could not. Here are the targets. I want you to go after the entire family. In 1966, Chairman Mao launched the Cultural Revolution. He stated that the aim was to purge the remaining capitalist and traditional influences in Chinese society. But inside the Communist Party, it was viewed as a power grab, and Tiang was his executioner. The Cultural Revolution shaped the future of China. Among those targeted were artists, intellectuals, landlords, and those considered to be spies. Thousands were killed. Millions were displaced. The terror was so fierce that at least 100,000 people died by suicide. The campaign was coordinated by a group called the Gang of Four. It was composed of Yao Wenyuan, Chiang Chuen Chao, Wang Hongwen, and Tiang Qing, who had once again been reinvented. She still went by Tiang Qing, but internationally, she became known by a new name, Madame Mao. My image was posted everywhere, watching over a society that needed to be looked after. The cropped hair, wide-rimmed glasses, and a military cap gave me a distinct look. Sometimes, people said they couldn't tell if I was a man or woman. <laughs> ha! 
She may have failed to make a name for herself as an actress, but in 1960s China, everyone knew about Madame Mao and the Gang of Four. We ran the country's institutions. I looked after culture, the most important. This was the cultural revolution, after all. I was charged with aligning all art, literature, and culture with party interests. However, the party's interests were often seemingly just the personal interests of Madame Mao. Starting in 1966, she personally ordered thousands of killings and detentions. She targeted people from her Shanghai days as an actress to put a lid on public knowledge of her life from that period. Rubbing shoulders with the young Madame Mao had become an unknowing death sentence for many. There's an actress causing trouble to the party. I want you to find and arrest her. Her name is Wang Ying. Wang Ying was her old co-star and friend. She was arrested and died in prison in 1974. Another actress is threatening the party's interests. Li Lili. Yes, the famous actress. I want you to go after her entire family. Li and her husband were arrested and tortured. He eventually killed himself to avoid further torture. All these people threaten the party and thus the people. You shall comply, or else the same will fall upon you. These were decadent people. All those years ago, I saw how they acted and what their beliefs were. Shanghai was a place of moral decay and corruption. Were some of the sentences harsh? Maybe, but it was for the good of the party and country. Some of those persecuted, like Li Lili, were involved or starred in leftist films from the 1930s. Beyond Shanghai, Madame Mao went after Fan Jin, the journalist and vice mayor of Beijing. Let's send her a message to stay in line. That way, she won't get too comfortable, eh? Yes. Yes. I don't care who she's married to. Fan Jing was also married to Madame Mao's old flame, Yu Siwei. Let's try her in front of the people. This would ensure that Fan Jin would be humiliated before the public. It seemed no one was safe from Madame Mao's tyranny. I was Chairman Mao's dog. Whoever he said to bite, I bit. While she claimed to act in Mao's interest, it's hard to suspect he would have concerned himself with Madame Mao's vengeful acts. At that point, there were reports she and Mao had stopped living together as early as 1949, eleven years after they married. One report even claimed Mao couldn't stand her nagging and ambitions. Regardless of their personal matters, Madame Mao personified the violence of the Cultural Revolution. On top of her mission of revenge, she laid a blanket ban on just about every kind of artistic expression that existed before the Communist Revolution. She wanted a blank canvas. I was in charge of retelling our history. What an honour! What a responsibility! I wrote the eight model operas to glorify Mao Zedong, 
the People's Liberation Army, and the communist struggle for revolution. We saw to it that they were the only culture available to the people of Beijing. That way, we could re-educate them. They didn't need the old stuff. In the past, the heroes of operas might have come from the upper class. But I changed this. Now, the heroes would be from the common people. Then in 1972, an historic event unfolded. Richard Nixon became the first U.S. president to visit the People's Republic of China since it was established in 1949. The aim was to warm diplomatic ties between the United States and a communist country during the early days of the Cold War. What better way to show the Americans the fruits of our glorious revolution than with an opera? I showed Nixon one I wrote called Red Detachment of Women. Naturally, he loved it. He asked who wrote and directed it. I told him it was created by the people. Artistically, the opera had many critics. One influential party official said it contained not a trace of art. Ten years after the start of the Cultural Revolution, on the 9th of September, 1976, Mao died. It was the worst day of my life. And the beginning of the end of it. During her time with the Chinese Communist Party, Madame Mao had amassed a long list of enemies. The Cultural Revolution died with Mao Zedong. And then everyone turned on the Gang of Four. The party felt our rule was too chaotic, and they began to distance themselves from the advances we'd made. The Cultural Revolution had an unparalleled influence over China, then and now. But in 1976, the party wanted to move on from the atmosphere of uncertainty created under the Gang of Four. Even China's allies in North Korea described the Cultural Revolution as a great madness. What is the meaning of this? Get your hands off me! Don't touch me! The chairman's body is hardly cold. And yet, you have the gall to mount a coup. You don't know what you're doing. I'll have you, your wives, and your children's heads for this. Just wait. Let me, let me go. She was arrested in 1976, and in the following year, she was expelled from the Communist Party. When word spread of her arrest in 1976, people celebrated in the streets of Shanghai. Madame Mao's reign of terror was over-cemented after her expulsion from the Communist Party a year later. The press gave her her final alias, the White-Boned Demon. The Gang of Four were later tried and sentenced for their actions during the Cultural Revolution. They even accused us of plotting to assassinate Mao himself. I denied all charges and denounced the Chinese Communist Party leadership, but it hardly mattered. In 1981, 
I was found guilty and sentenced to death. I'm not afraid of having my head chopped off. Two years later, my sentence was changed to life in prison. Authorities hoped I would submit a confession. Confess? To what? On the 14th of May, 1991, I took one more life. My own. The Chinese Communist Party tried to downplay any memory of Madame Mao. Commemoration and displays of public memory were prohibited. Thirty years later, the Chinese Communist Party celebrated their centennial. State authorities decided enough time had passed they revoked the decision. A few days later, people appeared at her graveside with flowers. Madame Mao was one of the most powerful and influential women in modern Chinese history. But she left behind a trail of many thousands of graves. Hindsight is narrated by me, Charles Dance. This series was produced by South Podcasts. And their team is managing producer, Tala Alisa. Editor, Morgan Waters. Director, producer, and editor, Tala Halawa. Assistant producer, Basant Samhut. Associate producer, Kaula Alhamuri. Sound design by Nuruddin Belahsen. Assembly sound editing by Yazan Kawas. This episode is written by Justin Salhani. Research by Jawan Bustani. Fact-checking by Tarak Ayub. Special thanks to Sylvia Salino for speaking to us about the character. Madame Mao is played by Rebecca Yeo. Extra Voices, played by Joss Rackless. Recording by 5A Studios and TVC Soho Post-Production. Additional research and fact-checking by Al Jazeera. Joe DeFrias is the executive producer of Special Projects. Ney Alvarez is Al Jazeera's head of audio. Asil Mansour is the manager of digital content strategy. Juan Carlos Van Meek is Al Jazeera's Director of Digital Innovation and Programming. Hindsight is a historical drama podcast. All dramatized scenes and dialogue are inspired by historical events, old interviews, and in some cases, new conversations with people close to the subject.